Every Man Podcast. Every Man. Every Man. We've got a creature from the deep on the pod today. Mr. Daryl Campbell, brother, how are you? Hey, man. I'm doing good, bro. I'm doing good. How about you? Hey, man. I'm doing great. Doing great. Clipping and dripping. Clanging and banging. Just got a pump. Just doing back and Get shoulders. Just doing back and shoulders. I felt my traps grow two inches. And then they, they shrunk right back down. So did you have any, uh, you know, extracurricular experiences with, you know, maybe a short man on a bench reading the newspaper like I did? No, you know what? Luckily, uh, my, my gym at my office is uh, brand new. And I've never worked Absolutely. out on, on brand new equipment they, because, you know, I felt like I was like some college recruit. You know, they got all this brand new life fitness equipment, like the shit that's wow. got the like the, the, the timers built in, the rep, yeah. the rep counter, yeah. and then the timer. It shows how long your, your set was, and then it stops and it goes in reverse. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, but Dude, I really, you got a gym in your office? Yeah, man. Yeah. So our, our company has a, has a division that um, is involved with life fitness. So uh, we have like a life fitness showroom. Essentially, it's beautiful, mm. and That's uh, pimp, man. yeah. So been uh, been pumping in there, but uh, luckily I didn't have to deal with any, um, you know, interferences like that. You, you want to tell you want to tell the Everyman uh, Podcast Universe what you're dealing, what <laughs> you're talking let me, about? Let me, let me break this thing down for you guys. So I'm in LA Fitness, right? And you know, it's the wee hours of the morning where all the Everyman do their bidding mm. in the gym, getting a pump on. Unless you have, you know, um, a facility such as yourself, Brother Jay, at your workplace and you can get your pump on there. Blessed. Um, Yes, very blessed. But, um, yeah, so there's a short short gentleman on the bench. All the other benches are taken. Now, it's 5 a.m. here. And you know me. I'm an everyman, so he's older than me, so I got to give him the respect he so rightfully deserves. But you you know what? This particular gentleman is reading the newspaper sitting on the edge of the bench, not utilizing the bench in well, a... In home- fairness, oh. he was utilizing the bench, just true, strongly. Very true. You're a- Absolutely. But he had no intention Mm-mm. of using the bench because his garb was a polo t-shirt, mm-hmm. right? I believe blue and white striped khaki shorts. And the footwear. Sandals. Sandals. Strap sandals, up, ladies and gentlemen. Strap sandals right around the ankles. No support whatsoever. And he had another column, newspaper column on the floor, locked and loaded to be placed in front of his retinas for yet more page turning for, get this, at least 30 minutes. So my patience for 30 minutes. Come on. You know me, Jay. Yeah, that's I'm in there to get my stuff done. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And and I I can vouch for this. I saw the photo. Uh, I yeah. can confirm the sandals, the wraparound yes. straps. He was essentially yes. dressed as if he were uh, touring a local landmark. Absolutely. He was like a tourist. And, you know, of course, you know, uh, everybody, I encourage everyone to take, you know, steps and, and get into fitness. And, you know, this isn't one of those things where we're saying, you know, we're shaming people for trying. That's not the everyman oh. way. That is not the everyman way, Daryl. No, but, it's not. It's not. But when you enter the Church of Iron, aka yeah. the Pump Zone, yeah, the Pump Zone, you got to be there to do the work because everybody there respect, is doing the man. work. There's plenty of respect. there's plenty of great places you can read a newspaper: a Dunkin' yeah. Donuts, a Starbucks, Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. You could you could uh, bar Barnes and Noble. You can Barnes just grab a chair, man. You can literally go read a whole book there. Nobody will bother dude. you, dude. McDonald's free Wi-Fi, dude. Free bathrooms, absolutely, man. You get a cup, absolutely. Get it. Get yourself a cup of ice. Read your newspaper, yeah. then go to the nice clean bathroom, and then leave three hours later. That's what I do when I get yeah. to McDonald's. I mean, so the thing here is, the guy was disgruntled with me. That's the thing. He was disgruntled with me for peering over his page and asking, hey, you know what? You've you've been reading this newspaper for 30 minutes. And he went to go take it to the manager, who's a new young guy who doesn't know me. He's not the normal dude. So, um, you know, I didn't want to ruffle any feathers or any no. newspapers or his person. No. So I just, I just took the everyman away, walked on, did something else. Because you know what? We've always got a backup plan, don't we? That's so right. So that's what we do. And... Um, I decided to fellowship with my brother Jay about uh, my displeasure. So yeah, sometimes, sometimes when you when you're running a little hot and you're out in the battlefield of the world, sometimes it's good to shoot a text to your bro and yeah, be like, man. "Hey, am I am I fucking off here, or should I be enraged?" Is it me? Is it me? Yeah. Yeah, definitely not you. Um, yeah. So if if you're in the gym and you see a uh, the silhouette of a large everyman looming over you, shadow you. If it's Daryl Campbell, just let him use the bench. He'll That's wipe it, it down. He'll 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 clean he'll clear the rack. He's you already know I'm gonna at least wait thirty minutes, right? That's thirty minutes. It's thirty minutes. I you know how much things you can get done in thirty minutes? Dude. Too many. Dude. Too many. Yeah, that's unacceptable. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to uh, find an amicable solution for that there, Daryl. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, we encourage everybody to uh, to give fitness a try. And uh, just, you know, gym etiquette. Just remember, it's not a place to read a newspaper. It really isn't. It's not, especially in sandals and a polo. No. You know, like you Don't see somebody that. sitting there and maybe checking a text or texting a little too long. It's like, okay, okay. Dude, I, I mean, see I've it. seen some. But when you've fire, got... I- when you've got the fucking, you know, the funnies out and you've got, you know, the stock market page open, like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. This isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't the library. Yeah, dude. And here's the thing. I've seen some flagrant files, right? Like I've seen Candy Crush. I've seen the mm-hmm. text messaging while on the leg press machine. You know what? I've, 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 I've seen some video game playing, you yeah. know, uh, Clash of Clans. Okay. All right. I'm a fan too. And I let that slide, but the newspaper—that's that's like finding a PC way to do less than nothing at the gym. Well, the other thing that's interesting about that choice is a newspaper is is probably the least um, durable medium to gain knowledge from. It's the thinnest paper possible. One drop mm-hmm. of sweat, it's going right Dude, through that whole fucking thing, exactly. and it's broken. So it's like if you're bringing a newspaper into the gym and you're sitting down with it, it's like you have no intention of making anything close to exercise happen. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? I hope, I hope that gentleman uh, has learned from his ways and uh, someday somebody will uh, explain to him kindly that that's just not how we do things. Mm-mm. Not on duty. Not on duty. Well, speaking of on duty, Daryl Campbell, you've been on duty this week and we had a little bit of a uh, different schedule for our podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, this week... Uh, our interview is with uh, the great legendary guitarist, Mr. Andy McKee. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, um, Daryl had to hold down the shit over at NFL Films. He's uh, working mm-hmm. on a on a little, uh, it's a tiny little TV show. Not sure if you guys, you might have heard of it. It's called Hard Knocks. 
Um, Absolutely. So Daryl is uh, manning that battle station, and he was unable to join us for this interview. So the interview you're going to hear here in a few minutes is uh, is a solo dolo uh, featuring myself and the real Andy McKee. Dolo. Solo dolo. Shout out Kid Cudi. Um, Mm -hmm. Andy McKee is a special, special guy. Um, He is, he's not the first to play this style of guitar that he plays, which he calls uh, finger style or, you know, finger picking. Um, Absolutely. But he's kind of taken it to a whole new level. And early on in about 2007, 2008, Andy was one of the first people um, doing music videos on YouTube. Now, some of our younger listeners, I know this is going to be surprising to you, but there was a time when YouTube um, was pretty much instructional videos on how to, you know, do plumbing, um, construction tutorials, Mm. cooking. Like it was very basic and like very wholesome. Yep. There wasn't, it wasn't the landscape that you have now with YouTubers and streaming channels and, you know, first we feast and all this wonderful content. Um, so Andy was one of the first guys to, to start putting high quality, uh, playing videos of him playing on, online. And he did a song called drifting that went, uh, viral right before Christmas in 2008. And, mm-hmm. uh, it ended up, it, I mean, he ended up going over a hundred million views. And this is again, consider 2008, how many fewer iPhones. This is before Twitter really took off. This is before Facebook really took mm-hmm. off. Um, this was just purely raw word of mouth viral talent um and i was working in a music store which we talk about and uh, one of my guys that uh that was working for us there came up to me he's like dude you got to check this video i've never seen anything like it like this is gonna blow your mind so you know next thing i know we're all obsessed with andy mckee turns out he's a big dream theater fan yeah obviously i'm a big dream theater fan daryl's a big dream theater fan dt for life our boy zach rossi shout out to the great rossi was overseas with with Dream Theater, um, doing the everyman work that he does, and I see him post a photo of uh, Mr. Andy McKee backstage, and I'm like, oh, dude, what are you doing with Andy McKee? I guess he must have been in Europe, and he's like, nah, bro, he he's opening up for Dream Theater, and I was like, well, shit, the yeah, cosmic canoe strikes again. Yep, grab an oar, grab an oar, get in the boat, we're going. So mm-hmm. reached out to Andy, and he was. Uh, more than happy to um, to come on the show, and we had a we had an awesome conversation. Went about an hour, and we talked about you know everything from technique to staying mentally sound and healthy on the road. And Andy dropped some really awesome uh, knowledge on what it takes to not only grow a career in music but manage it and still be you. And not get sucked into all these other complicated little things that are out there that can distract you from that path. And uh, Andy's just a, he's a, he's a great guy. It was an honor to have him on the show. Uh, sadly, you know, Daryl wasn't there for the interview, but he got a chance to check it out. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to definitely have Andy back on. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this. In this first episode, we, we kind of talk, uh, you know, music stuff and life stuff. We go over Dream Theater um awesome conversation about prince andy oh went, yeah andy went on tour with prince and uh tells us a little Ping story pong. tells us a little story about uh 
how Prince liked to hang out that if you've ever seen Chappelle's show, it's, <laughs> it's going to make things seem very, very real. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just a great, it was a great conversation. And of course, Daryl wish you could have, uh, been in on it. Me too, brother. But you know, the everyman has to be flexible. Have to. You have to be flexible. Have to. So uh, speaking of flexibility, we are now on Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. So if you are listening to this show right now and you have not subscribed to one of those services to get our episode every week in your inbox at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, please do. Subscribe, leave us a review, tell us what you like about the show. Do it. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Do it. That's all you got to do. That's it, man. That's all you got to do. So uh, with that, Mr. Campbell, what do you say Mm -hmm. we kick it to Mr. Andy McKee? Let's get it. Get it. Today on the Everyman Podcast, we are here with a fantastic guitarist and one of my uh, personal influences, uh, the great Andy McKee. Andy, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Normally, I'm with my uh, co-host here, Mr. Daryl Campbell. Uh, unfortunately, his schedule got flipped, and he's, uh, I'm not sure if you're a uh, football fan, Andy, but are you familiar with the show uh, Hard Knocks? Uh, I'm not. I don't know. Well, it's a, it's an HBO show where they kind of follow um, NFL teams like behind the scenes. It's like a very in-depth, behind-the-curtain kind of look. And uh, they have like a 24-hour turnaround. So Daryl's uh, heading up that project today. So it will be oh, uh, wow. riding solo with the interview today. Um, <clears throat> so, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're from and what you're currently up to. Uh, well, I'm a uh, primarily known as an acoustic guitar player, um, and I just turned 40 this year. I live in Topeka, Kansas. That's where I was born and raised. And uh, I kind of started out on the electric guitar, really, uh, when I was about 13 years old, and uh, switched over to the acoustic uh, in my later teens, and, and uh, really fell, fell in love with uh, with that sound and uh, uh, some of the influences I had back then that really made me want to get in the acoustic guitar. Just really sort of changed my life, you know. But I still play a lot of electric guitar, too, um, and uh, uh, I'm probably going to have some of that on my next album, actually, uh, as well. So, um, But yeah, I'm mostly known as a fingerstyle instrumental guitar player and uh, working on some new music now. I'm about to leave tomorrow, actually, to do some shows in California uh, with this Guitar Masters project, where it's me and a few other guitar players, and then we're all going to go teach at my guitar camp out in Petaluma after that. So, That's incredible, and I actually wanted to mention that right off the bat, is I noticed on your social media, <clears throat> pardon me, You've been using the uh, you break, breaking out the Petrucci a lot, um, so uh, my my group Extractus and uh, our our production company Extractus Media were also sponsored by uh, Ernie Ball, and we we both thank them greatly for their excellent products and service. Yeah, um, they're always so great to work with. Uh, Tim Dove is our our rep, and he's always oh yeah, he, Tim's great. He's always so cool and super quick, and uh, you know I, I'm a I'm a guitarist, but I'm not as uh, you know I'm not a luthier, so. He, he's able to, uh, you know, deal with my silly questions. But uh, <laughs> what uh, what's uh, Petrucci's you've been playing on those Instagram? What, what's your setup for that? Um, yeah, so um, I, those are mostly music bands back there. There's a couple Fenders over there. Um, and those are just signature models. Like there's an Eric Johnson and a David Gilmore one over there. Uh, then the rest are all Ernie Ball music bands. Um, but yeah, I've got... Uh, 
JP over there, and then I've got a seven-string one, too, a couple over. Uh, Steve Morse one, you know, and then that bluish one's kind of this baritone electric guitar. That That's they, beautiful. Yeah, um, I think they just call it a bass guitar, which I think is kind of confusing, but... I can like see, how, yeah, that would be a little confusing on a line item. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's pretty much like a baritone. I think it goes down to A, maybe, rather than, than B. Um, and then there's like an Axis and then a, the Lugather one yeah. over there too. So, Those are great. Um, the, yeah, I really, I really dig the Petrucci's, you know, and the the uh, the Lugather one and the Steve Morse one. Those those are kind of the top ones for me over there. But the thing I love about the Petrucci's is now there's so many different variations of the guitar, and you can get any version of it you want, and it'll probably fit your needs. And from somebody like yourself with your your style to you know, our group is super heavy. Um, you know, you see country guys playing it. I mean, it's they yeah. they make a super versatile instrument, so I can see why you'd gravitate towards it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the piezo pickup and everything too, just the variety of tones you can get out of it is crazy. Um, you know, it stays in tune so well with the whammy bar too. Everything is just great. Do you do you ever use that uh, piezo for any sort of live stuff? Because I know most of your live performances are either your harp guitar, which we'll, we'll definitely get to, um, and your your, your standard uh, Greenfield guitars. But uh, do you ever utilize that? The, the JP. I actually live? haven't. I haven't. I haven't played electric guitar on stage yet, but I'm about to on this Guitar Masters tour. Actually. All right. Well, uh, we got. Uh, hopefully, we'll see some on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. So that that whole tour, the way it works is, you know, we, me and the other guys, all have our own sort of section of the show where we play our tunes. But at the end, we play together. Uh, and so I came up with this part on electric guitar for a tune from Trevor Gordon Hall and a little bit of a guitar solo. So I've never played on stage with an electric before, so I'm kind of nervous, you know. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure you'll do just fine, my friend. I'm sure you'll be great. <laughs> I, uh, you know, as I was getting ready for this interview, I was uh, really digging digging through your YouTube, and I I found a. Uh, you know, a lot of cool stuff. And your, uh, your, your video, the training montage, uh, cover is just, that's been totally, that's just awesome, man. I love it. And, oh, uh, thank you, man. And dude, that's funny. You mentioned that because, uh, at my guitar camp, we're actually having Vince DiCola come to the camp. What? He's the guy. Who, yeah. yeah he composed, He's a yeah, legend, man. Montage. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so, I mean, that was like a huge thing for me. Actually the first, um, I think the first album I ever bought, it was a cassette, was the soundtrack to Rocky Four because I just loved the music in the movie, uh, especially those scenes like the training montage and uh, the fight at the end yeah. when they played War. It was instrumental music too, you know, so I kind yeah. of fell in love, you know, with instrumental stuff. I had this connection with it. You know, my brother and sister were like, what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> like, this well, is Rocky Four. It's awesome. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, it's funny It's funny you say that and, and brings brings up another uh, something I want to talk to you about is video games is is when I listen to your playing, and I know you talked about it in interviews and I see your, you know, you got some NES shirts on and stuff uh, from time to time. You're obviously influenced by gaming. And I find um, musicians that are gamers also tend to gravitate towards that instrumental thing because I think there's something going on like... So when I was a kid, I was a huge Power Rangers fan, right? Loved okay. it. All right? And years later, I was trying to figure out the connection of like, how did I end up just loving metal? And then one day I happened to, as like a young adult, turn on the Power Rangers, and it was like the heaviest theme song ever. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that's what, you know what I mean? Like, that's where the seed is. Like, it's these these subconscious ideas creatively in your young mind kind of creep in whether it's from like video games or i know a lot of people influenced by especially like uh you know like anime style music soundtracks mm -hmm. things like that um so uh, do you pull from from gaming and tell me a little bit about what you know what what you're into with that and where where that affected you as a musician yeah um well on my first album i ever released actually i had a tune called samus star drive which is 
uh, you know, sort of inspired by the music from Metroid. Um, and I just had this picture of, you know, the main character Samus uh, driving her spaceship, you know, through uh, through outer space, and it's just kind of this uh, ambient kind of guitar piece. But um, so yeah, I mean, like that was kind of inspired by it, by video game music and. Um, you know, I can still hear a lot of tunes from Nintendo in my head and, uh, and then even more modern stuff too, actually on my, my, uh, next album, I've, I've already re uh, recorded it, but it's a harp guitar arrangement of Streets of White Run from Skyrim. Uh, that soundtrack to Skyrim is unbelievable. I think it's just amazing. My, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I were watching your video on that. She's a big fan of Skyrim and, uh, she actually wanted me to ask you, it's I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, what's your favorite, uh, place in Skyrim? Oh, my favorite place in Skyrim. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I guess. Oh, man, I don't know. It's well, it's been a little while now since I played it, so I'm having a hard time remembering which. which I don't know if I've got one place that really stood out. I mean, I mean, I just love the world though, and the whole Elder Scrolls oh, yeah. universe is is the, just so amazing. I was one of the weird uh, people that I'm a big gamer, and I never got to it. And the first time I played it was actually on the PlayStation VR. So my, my first experience oh, wow. with Skyrim was in VR. That was uh, that's pretty wild. If you get the chance to check that out, I, I highly recommend it. Oh man, yeah, I haven't done that yet. I do have the VR system, but I haven't checked it out. Oh yeah, Skyrim. it's yeah, it's, it's trippy. That whole intro with the dragon and you know you're breaking out from the prison car and mm -hmm. intense. It's intense, <laughs> and some and people play the whole the whole thing like that. I I don't know if I could, you know, put 500 hours into a VR at this point in my life, but you know, God bless. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so talking about you know some of your your creative influences, uh, you, you've mentioned a lot of the the players that um, that have kind of spoken to you, and you know the our our audience here on the on the Everyman podcast, it's a lot of we got a lot of athletes, we got a lot of musicians, and uh, what you know either acoustic guitarists or fingerstyle players. Who, who do you think should be on a young musician's radar that maybe when you before you had the calling to switch to acoustic. If you could go back and tell young Andy McKee to check out these people, who would they be? Oh, yeah, that's good, man. Um, well, uh, if I was just to even pick one, it would have to be Michael Hedges um, as far as the acoustic guitar. Um, and uh, if your listeners aren't too familiar with him, he was a, a real pioneer for steel string acoustic guitar. In the early 1980s, he sort of uh, came out and... And uh, he was using a lot of altered tunings, which, you know, had been done before, but he kind of took it to another level. And um, But he was really composition-based. Uh, he had a lot of education with going to Peabody Conservatory, and um, and he had played flute and penny whistle. Um, so he had sort of multiple instruments, you know, that he, he had learned on. And one thing that's interesting, if you do ever work on an instrument like a flute or anything that's not polyphonic, you kind of have to focus on melody a bit more. So I think that kind of helped him uh, develop that sense, you know. Uh, so he's, he's just wrote some of the most amazing uh, and, to me, profound music for one guitar, you know. And that's something that, that also struck me with him and, and, you know, guys like Preston Reed is another one and Don Ross uh, and Billy McLaughlin. Those are kind of my four big acoustic guys. But... Um, there's something about someone playing a solo, like acoustic guitar, that's just very personal, you know, um, when that, that person's in control of every note and every aspect, every dynamic thing, you know, you're, you feel like you're really connecting with that person in a different way, maybe if it, than in a band situation. So there's something I liked about that too. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I would I would definitely tell anyone to 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 go check out Michael Hedges for sure. He's got an album called Aerial Boundaries that was kind of the big uh, groundbreaking one, and all but all of his albums are great as far as I'm concerned. Uh, also Preston Reed, uh, I saw him when I was 16 years old, and uh, he was playing over the top of the guitar neck on acoustic guitar and using the guitar body as a drum, which you know percussion had been on the acoustic guitar before with like flamenco and things, but right. uh, he he kind of really incorporated it. Uh, in a different way, like where he was really had the drums going and the the rhythmic ideas and the melody, harmony, all that stuff kind of at once. So uh, he be, he became a big influence for me too. Uh, and Don Ross is a great Canadian guitar player uh, that just really brought sort of funk and groove a bit to the acoustic guitar in a way that hadn't been done before. And um, Billy McLaughlin is a great tap style guitar player, uh, and he was just very melodic and unique with his music too and became a big influence for me so those four guys definitely changed my life that's that's a great list right there and you know Mm -hmm. one of the the first um the first guitarist i heard kind of play a style similar to yours when i was younger was uh steve howe um oh yeah yeah. you know and uh you know i grew up my my father's a musician and he you know he kind of raised me in that in that regard um and uh yes was his big band and so early on that was like the first band i got really into and um, you know, that turned me on to like Chet Atkins, uh, stuff like that. So I wanted to know if, um, if you, uh, like, do, I feel like if Steve Howe was, was like, was in his prime right now, he would be everybody's like favorite guitar player, I think. Cause he's, he's just got such, such a unique style. And, and like when you, when you consider you go back and like, they were doing that with limited effects, you know, on tape for, you know, they, there's some really cool stuff there. Um, all this to say, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm interested in the idea of this kind of evolution of guitar technique and how, you know, that over time you can kind of trace a line through it, you know, from like you're talking the, the tapping style to what Eddie Van Halen did in the 80s. And then you have, uh, you know, what you've come to do. And my question is, so you spend like a lot of time working on your new material, you know, maybe months, years, whatever it is, and then you put a video out on YouTube and then within a week, there's a 14-year-old somewhere that's, you know, doing it. And, uh-huh. and like, did you ever think, <laughs> like, did you ever think that you would live to see the day where, like, it's that quick now? Where before, it seemed like when I was a kid, we still had to get tab books or, you know, was pre-YouTube. And, and like, you were kind of a part of that first initial explosion, um, yeah. which, which has been really, you know, covered on your other interviews and, and we can talk about that if you like, but where do you think this is going and do you think this is good or bad for guitar technique or guitar mm. as a, as a whole? Mm, good question, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is, it is amazing now. I mean, to, to see where it's gone even and uh, you know, there's, there's, there was a uh, Sung Ha Jung from South Korea. Like when I came out. I mean, he must have been like 10 years old or something, but he was playing my tunes and like Tommy yep. Man and just like everybody, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, there's and he's huge on YouTube and there's there's even more, you know, there's all kinds of kids that, uh, yeah, you can just you can watch the video and you can like pause it and just get everything, you know. Uh, and but like you're saying, though, you know, we had to get the tab books or pause the CD. Right. Or he, like, what's that? <laughs> I even had one of those Tascam little guys that slowed down the CD, you know? Yeah, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, man. So um, it's cool that – I think it is good that people are able to have that that resource, you know, to, to learn new stuff and, and everything. Um, 
so quickly and 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 uh, develop it and push it even and and all that. But um, there's I don't know some some of the some of the stuff I hear though it sounds like they're going way far on the technique and stuff and then the music's kind of it's like well I don't really care if I ever hear that again necessarily. I mean it looked cool and it was amazing, but it's not really like the music itself. Sometimes maybe it doesn't it just doesn't connect with me necessarily. Maybe there's a some component of my listening where I, at some point I kind of stepped away so much from the technique thing and it's just like I, I, I get it and I understand what's going on but it, I'm more interested like if it here's like the Streets of White Run from Skyrim means more to me than some of these wild guitar videos or something you know um, right so yeah I, I just uh, you know I hope people can also focus on like melody and what they're actually trying to say with the music I mean it's good to have flashy show pieces and stuff and that's all fine and dandy, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, man, I, I, some some of the newer stuff I don't quite connect with, like the older stuff. But there's also something to be said about like I've I've heard studies that were done. Like some people, after you just you reach a certain age, it's almost like hard to yeah. get into more new music. It's like you've heard so much great stuff, and it's almost like you don't have room for any more or something in your head. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I definitely still kind of gravitate to the guys that inspired me. I just I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe a little bit of nostalgia, but just the way that music makes me feel is different than the stuff that maybe is coming out on YouTube nowadays or whatever. You know, and I, I can kind of relate to that because, you know, I'm really tied to the kind of progressive metal scene, you know, and it's like, you know, Dream Theater, which we'll, we're going to talk about here in a second, like they're they're my favorite band of all time. And, you know, and mm -hmm. everything kind of just trickles down from there. And, you know, between the Barry to me and, and bands like that. And, uh, you know, deeper you go down the pyramid of prog metal, you know, now there's bands like The Contortionist and Animals as Leaders. I know, you know, you know Tosin is a, is a fantastic player. Yeah. And I feel like there is a disconnect between a certain generation of, of how old the musician is to how yeah. they're interacting with the idea of music. Because I think there's some young bands right now that are treating music like a promo tape so like i don't know if you're like so skateboarding right back in the day skateboarding would be like somebody would do tricks on a videotape and then they had to sell the videotape and then everybody learned the trick but the cycle was much longer than the cycle is now for somebody learning a new trick so if somebody does it on anywhere in the world it gets on youtube and then boom everyone's seen it you know i think a similar thing happened with you with drifting um you know back in uh so I guess it was around 2008, 2009. I was the manager of a music store uh, that uh, Best Buy was running, Best Buy Musical Instruments, and oh, uh, yeah. and I was uh, so one of my one of my guys there. I was able to bring in a lot of like-minded dudes. So it was like a bunch of uh, guitar nerds and music nerds back there, like any good music store. And uh, a buddy of mine, Ian Vandenberg, was like, "Dude, you got to come check out this video." And I hear all this slapping and popping and stuff, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" And it's sure enough, it's you know you playing drifting. <laughs> so next thing I know, I've got a staff of dudes smacking three thousand dollar tailors trying to be Andy McKee uh, <laughs> all day long, you know. And it's like I was eventually we had to be like, "Okay, listen, you can do that on this instrument here, but you know, let's let's <laughs> practice not on the you know the eight fourteen. But, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and then eventually, uh, you know, we were able to talk our uh, manager, shout out to the great Eric Flegelman, uh, to uh, booking you for, for an appearance. And this was early on in your career. And, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. know how much of that, how much of that uh, you recall, but it was, uh, yeah. it was great having you then. And uh, it was, it was really cool. Um, 
it's cool for me. So we have this thing on the podcast, Daryl and I talk about called the cosmic canoe. And we've started this, this journey here. And we believe that we're trying to enrich people's lives through, you know, positivity and, and, and enriching them with knowledge like this. Right. And we're on this canoe together. Me and Daryl is big, big strapping NFL player. Every time we put our oar into the water, we're picking up a little bit of cosmic energy that somehow connects with us and pushes us forward. And every time we make a, another step, um, we find a connection that we've already had. And here, you know, I'm I'm sitting there watching. So Zach Rossi, who's on tour with Dream Theater, um, yeah. he's the man, and he was on our show. And I see one day on his Instagram, he posts a picture with you, and I was like, oh shit, Andy McKee must be in Europe. So I text him. I'm like, dude, what's what's up with Andy? And he's like, oh man, he's opening for Dream Theater. And I'm like, what? And he's like, oh yeah, dude, it's incredible. Like you got to see this. It's fucking crazy. And I was like, all right, dude, let me, let me check this out. So then I'm like, oh, I should just reach out see if see if he's interested in, in talking. So all these different connections, uh, you know, bring us uh, to this point in time, which I think is very interesting. Uh, but back to the musical instruments thing, I wanted to to have an opportunity to thank you for being an influence to uh, so many of my friends and, and guys that I've been in bands with, um, you know, you really inspired a whole group of guys that were, you know, in a different part of the world than, than where you were in a different area of music that you were that, uh, and I know we've all, you know, benefited from it. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming to our humble musical instrument store. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah. I still remember that for sure, man. Uh, didn't we try to do like a, we played like rock band or guitar hero or a little bit. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. There was an attempt. Yeah. It didn't, didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were new. We had some technical difficulties, you know, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, I mean, thinking about it now, it was nearly 10 years ago and, yeah. uh, you know, to see your, your career go the way it has and my career, uh, you know, we ended up doing pretty well and having some cool opportunities and to be able to circle back together for me to see you, you know, you, I've always kept a, you know, an eye on your career because it's, it's always been interesting to me because of that interaction. And I knew because like, you're a huge dream theater fan. And at that point in my life, I knew like two other dream theater fans, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like there, there wasn't a whole lot. So like when you came, yeah. me and my buddy, you know, shout out to Momo, we're like, Oh dude, yeah, he's into dream theater. Yeah. Let's talk. We're going to talk. And it's like, Hey, I've got a Petrucci. Oh, cool. You know, like it was, it was great for us, but, uh, there's, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something cool about, you know, being connected in all these different ways. And, uh, you know, like yourself, I've gotten welcomed into that dream theater sphere of, uh, excellence that they operate over there. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about, uh, what was going on over there with, uh, dream theater in Europe. Sure, man. Well, I might go way back and let you know how I got into dream theater. If that's all right. Oh, please do. Please do. This is the section where we talk about dream theater exclusively. <laughs> so let's get it. Yeah. So, um, um, I had, uh, I heard pull me under on MTV, you know, it was probably like 90, I don't know what, three or something. And, um, and saw the video and everything. and was just blown away. And I had just kind of started playing guitar at that point and, uh, was really just amazed, you know, at the abilities of everybody in the band. And so got images and words, you know, and started listening to that and became friends with uh, a guy that was originally really good friends with my brother. He was a really, really great drummer and he was way into dream theater. Of course. So, you know, you so you like you say you find one or two other guys and and they're just obsessed as you are. Yep. You know, I was like, yeah, this band is unbelievable. <laughs> so um, and then even to jump back to the you know the uh, anime type thing, we we started a band where we were playing covers from anime tunes wow. and we were gonna try 
play at like uh, conventions, anime conventions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, uh, another former guest on the show, Ben Cohen from Power Glove. Do you know? Do you know about Power Glove? Oh, that sounds like a Nintendo-based sort of. It is. Music, they they are know? the. They're like the first video game metal band. You should check them out. And they are incredible musicians. And they their whole thing is they do these metal ass covers of you know everything. <laughs> Sweet man. Yeah, so you know, I, I, I hooked up with that friend, and we 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 jammed on some Dream Theater whenever we could, and then, um, you know, and I, I followed the band for you know quite a while, and then uh, I never had a chance to really see them, but uh, they were coming to Kansas City to do this like in-store guitar clinic and sort of meet and greet, uh, and my friend owned the music store, so he called me up and was like, hey, you want to come with me to go pick up John and Mike from the hotel and bring him to the store, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, yeah dude, you did me. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we did that, and I was just trying to not freak out too much. But I was like, man, I've been listening to you guys forever. I love what you do. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, I kind of play acoustic guitar now. That's kind of what I was – I'd already kind of switched over more into that. And I was like, you mind if I play you something when we get to the store? And they're like, yeah. So we went into a little guitar um, teaching room, and I played them, I think, Drifting and Africa. And, you know, and, and they loved it. You know, they're like, that is sick. That is so cool. And I was like, oh, my God. I was just like on cloud nine. Oh, I so, um, you know, and I got like I got him to sign my uh, my images and word book and awake, you know, uh, but then, you know, I didn't really get a chance to run into him again. But then like at the NAMM show, I think it was probably about 2008 or so. Um, I saw John was signing at uh, the Ernie Ball booth. So I got in line, you know, and finally got up to him. It was like, hey, John, my name's Andy McKee. I don't know if you remember me. He's like, Andy McKee, I remember you, man. And he was like, I was just showing my wife your music last or the other night you know and he had, i'd already had my youtube thing kind of happen you know so i was like oh my god <laughs> like he remembers me he was like you don't need to wait next time you come through dude just come up here and say hey i'm like oh man just on cloud nine again yeah. like, oh my god. <laughs> so um i think he gave me his email address on the back of the eight by ten glossy too at that point but you know and so we kind of kept in touch a bit but then I think about two more years went by, and I got an email, and he was saying he, he, he was wondering if I would want to open for them, you know? I was like, heck yeah. So this was back in, like, 2011. I opened for him in California and Mexico. Uh, and then, like, a year later, I opened for him in Asia. Um, and so that was the first couple of times we did that. It was great, you know? I was nervous as hell, like, acoustic guitar in front of a prog metal audience, you know? It, it could work. I wasn't too sure, you know? There might be some people that just really came to rock the hell out, but... I figure if there's any band that this might work out, you know, Dream Theater fans probably dig what I'm up to. So it all went really well, you know. And uh, and then just, man, about like a month ago, a little over a month ago, it was really kind of short notice, but it was like, yeah, you want to come to opening Europe? I'm like, hell yeah, man. So <laughs> uh, I had just been in Asia for six weeks, so it was kind of a long run. But uh, but then I got, got over there to Europe, and yeah, we did a bunch of gigs over there. And it's just, man, they're, they're all the nicest dudes. I mean, you know. It's crazy. Yeah. Stuff, but um, they're, they're all intelligent, smart and friendly and all that stuff, man, all the good stuff they're, they're loaded with it. So, and talented, obviously they're all way talented. Um, yeah. So it was just a huge pleasure, man. And I got to ride on the bus, you know, with them for about half the tour. They the bus is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice, man. And kind of stayed up late a couple of nights drinking with them. So it was yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, well, I'll tell you, man, we had, we had quite the experience at the uh, at the Dream Theater Distance Over Time show uh, this past this past uh, I guess it was April. Um, so I've known John for I don't know since about 2012. So I've been a, I've been a Dream Theater fan since like 2007 because I was going to see Yes 
and Dream Theater was opening for them on that tour. Cool. So I uh, I saw, you know, I heard Erotomania and I was like, what the fuck? What's going on here? Like, I got to I gotta just figure this out. Like, it just something captured, <laughs> it captured my imagination, you know? So I was one of those guys that, like you, bro, was, you know, Sam Ash signings, you know, <laughs> driving six hours to shows, you know, whatever, whatever it took, you know, buying the VIP thing. I mean, I was, I was in it. Okay. And, uh, when I was, uh, when I was a little bit younger, I had a, I had a terminal illness that ended up, I ended up having a miracle cure with this experimental surgery, long story short. So my doctor suggested, Hey, you know, I had just turned 18. So he's like, you can't do the make a wish thing, but like, I know some people think of something, you know, maybe I can help you out. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll reach out to Jordan Rudess on Twitter because he was the only one on Twitter at the time. So they invited me and my family out to a show. And, uh, you know, John gave me his email. He's like, yeah, let's, you know, stay in touch. Like, keep keep your chin up. And then I end up surviving. And ever since, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, anytime. Just, just hit us up. So I end up getting into, you know, I pursue music professionally. And then just like you at NAMM one year, I'm hanging out watching um, <laughs> Judas Priestess. So you know who Priestess is? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I was in a, I, I end up, I end up playing in a band with the front woman, Militia. I end up drumming for her at one point. Um, wow. So, so I'm, I'm at that show, right? And I'm, because I knew in my head, because I'm a huge Dream Theater fan. I'm like, well, I know who's in Judas Priestess. <laughs> I see he's got an appearance. It's pretty good shot that he'll be here. So I was there, of course. And, you know, I go up to him and he's like, and I'm there with Dusty wearing on it from, from between the berry to oh. me. And John looks over at me and he looks at Dusty and he's like, what's like, what are you doing here with him? Like, how do we all, you know, how do we all know each other? And, uh, you know, so then it was like, oh, wow, you got into the business. Like, this is crazy. And uh, so we've just been, you know, we've been great ever since. And they always welcome us out, uh, you know, when they're on tour. And so this last time uh, we interviewed, we interviewed John was our first episode of the Everyman podcast. And then uh, they invited us out to interview Mike Mangini. And we ended up having a 30 minute conversation on the bus, but their generators made too much noise. So we ended up having like a three and a half hour conversation over Skype with Mike Mangini, who is the man. As I'm sure you know, but he can, yeah. he can go, uh, with, uh, with stuff that'll just blow your mind. So, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I can only, I can only imagine how those, uh, how those late night bus rides go. It's probably hard to get sleep. Yeah. It's usually about five or six in the morning. <laughs> yep. Good thing. Good thing doors are until seven, right? <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah. And I saw you guys are playing castles and, you know, giant you know, humongous crowds. It's, you know, I love that they have that, uh, I guess, I don't know if respect is the right word, but they have that fan base over there, you know, Mm -hmm. that they, that they so deserve. Cause I just, uh, I'm a huge fan of their work and, um, I wanted uh, something else that, that strikes me as amazing about your career here is your time with Prince. And, uh, before I get to that, what, as a, as a fan, what was more weird for you playing purple rain and having John Petrucci play the solo or actually playing it with Prince? <laughs> um, probably actually playing it with Prince, I guess, you know? Yeah, I would um, think. Yeah. But it's gotta um, be close, right? It, like both things had to be strange. 
Yeah, definitely, man. Because, man, I remember seeing, I think there's a video, yeah, definitely, I think it's on YouTube, of John playing Purple yeah. Rain like, at, at uh, NAM in like 1990-something. Um, so I was like, man, he's, he's been, you know, playing that for since then anyway. But, uh, yeah, they, that was, uh, both of those were just, you know, such a trip, you know. And, and um, it's funny, like, the Prince thing was actually the same year that I played with Dream Theater in Asia. It was a crazy year. Wow. Like, what? Yeah, um, but uh, it started out, you know, my, my manager had called me and said he was going to forward an email uh, that he had gotten and he, uh, that I needed to check it out. And so, you know, it was this uh, lady who said that she was, you know, Prince's manager and that she, she that he was wondering if we could get together, you know, and, and uh, we didn't even know if it was real, you know, for a while. It's like, this is just so far out, what? Um, but it was, you know, so I, I flew up to Paisley Park and met with him and and the bass player and the drummer, and we kind of jammed a little bit, and then he just had me play some of my solo stuff, and uh, and then he just wanted to play ping pong, um, which he was amazingly talented at, too. He was he always had a ping pong table backstage at all the shows, too. Really? <laughs> he was just way into it, yeah. It's like um, a, starting to sound like an episode of Chappelle's show. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. <laughs> all that, I, I'm sure all that stuff is true, too, man. So, yeah, I was going to ask you, so like, having that experience with Prince, do you think that the... Spell show is probably pretty accurate. Definitely, definitely. Because yeah. I've heard he was a real baller. I've heard he was a great yeah. athlete. Yeah, yeah. I have no doubt, man. I never, never did see him play basketball, but he could play ping pong like, <laughs> like <laughs> level ping pong player. <laughs> hey, you know, so, once, once you figure out how to do one thing good, you understand the tools to success. You know that just technique. Put in the time. And, yeah, putting the time. Yeah, it's true, man. Yeah, you know, but uh, so it was it was funny, like we did uh, uh, a bunch of shows in Asia with Dream Theater and then I just flew right from Thailand down to Australia and we did nine shows down there with Prince. So um, it was like three in Sydney, three in Melbourne and three in Brisbane. And it was just uh, amazing, man. I did like, you know, huge audiences and uh, I, I came out sort of like for a certain segment of the show and I had a little elevator and they brought me up and wow. played uh, <laughs> played guitar for uh, like a medley of about six or seven tunes or something, you know, and then we'd end with Purple Rain. Uh, but I would also start the show with the acoustic sort of version of Purple Rain, and that's that'll be on my next album too. But um, it was just a real pleasure just to be, you know, have that opportunity to meet him and, and uh, to be around him, man. He was really, really talented. And he not only did he write all those tunes, but he could play all the instruments, man. He played drums, of course, and bass and guitar and keys, everything so well, man. So He's... Um, he's- I think he's one of those guys that, I mean, because he was so prolific in popular music, uh, mainstream culture, I don't think everyone understands or maybe appreciates his level of musicianship. And it's almost like that level of musician is almost like a guy that ends up in a band like Dream Theater. You know what I mean? And not to not to at all say anything about Dream Theater, just that it's unusual where you find these musical geniuses that write pop music mm-hmm. that stick with it, you know? And he also very, he got into a lot of different stuff, but the things are, he's most well known for are, you know, these pop classics that'll, you know, be there timeless. Um, yeah. That's and, the thing, man. It's, it, it takes, it really does. I mean, it doesn't seem like it maybe, but it takes a lot of talent to be able to write a good song. And I mean, to right. have a good melody and something that people actually remember that's a whole 
uh, skill into itself, you know. So well, yeah. it's like it's like one of your one of the things you're most well well known for yourself is your cover of Africa, and mm-hmm. s- somehow that song has become a meme. You know, it's like uh, it's it's like a meme song, but you know, you go listen to a Toto record, and those are great songs. Like it's mm-hmm. like I I went through a phase uh, a couple years ago where I was just listening to that record, and it's like every song is a hit or could have been a, a you know, and the level of uh, you know songwriting that was on display on some of that music is just it's mind boggling that that. Mm-hmm. If it's happening today, it's not getting to that level of, you know, yeah. spotlight. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah. The pop music of today, I, I just don't, it just doesn't seem like it's going to have the longevity that the music we grew up with. Um, it's like, I, I don't really know any of these things on the radio, to be honest, but um, well, I think but it's what easier. I hear just, it sounds all very, all of it sounds quite similar. There's no real... And I think that's just because there's only four or five songwriters who are cranking out these tunes for these singers to go sing. It's not a band right. coming together to write music, you know, and making something really unique. So it all sounds pretty generic to me, unfortunately. I think the shelf life is pretty short now for a, a pop act, you know, and you're not going to really see these like generational bands, I don't think, going forward. Like, I think Foo Fighters is probably like the last one. I hope I'm wrong. But yeah. they might be like the Foo Fighters will probably end up like Rolling Stones status, you know, like this if they keep keep going. But like who else, you know, is is out there in that popular rock and roll kind of kind of vein? And um, I don't know if you're if you're into him, uh, Devin Townsend. Um, oh yeah. So he's yeah. he's one of my favorite artists, and mm-hmm. he has whatever you're into. I mean, even even kind of along the lines of your style. I mean, Casualties mm-hmm. of Cool, he's got that record where he's playing, you know. And, like, I've watched him from, I mean, every time he comes through, I go see him. But I, I've watched him, you know, sweeping on a seven string while singing, you know, these incredible soprano leads and it's like, how is, how can you do that? You know, and then, and then like, <laughs> yeah. and then it's like. He talked about, you know, writing pop music and it didn't feel right, you know, and just not going for it. So I think maybe the the people that were doing that stuff before that would put themselves into that system just don't want to deal with all that kind of, yeah, you know, like the extra producers and all the other stuff that goes along with it now. Because it's not as simple as, you know, like you said, there's something magical about it, you know, a guy and a, a guitar just mm-hmm. writing a song, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or a band too, you know, that comes together and comes up with something unique. It's like there's no risk uh, involved in the music that's being put out now. It's all just, oh, this is going to be a hit. It sounds like the same song we released last week or whatever. So there's not much creativity being pushed. And uh, it's just a bit of a sad state at the moment, I guess. But there's still good stuff out there, people trying and making stuff. And especially (laughs) in these kind of musician circles where you have, you know, people that. that inspire new new genres like yourself that you know your style is i hear it in you know bands like polyphia and chan um you know these young instrumental bands and and instrumental music in general i think is having a big moment right now um did you kind of always i know you said that instrumental music caught your ear um but is there any instrumental bands that you're kind of checking out now that that you're interested in um i i guess um that are like kind of strictly instrumental or that do some instrumental stuff. Yeah. Like what's like, what makes, what's, you know, catching your interest right now. Cause we talked about some of the pop music and stuff that, you know, isn't, yeah. but like what, what's kind of turning your key for, for what's going on now. 
Um, there's uh, some guys in the acoustic guitar scene that, that I am digging quite a bit. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that I bring to my guitar camp and stuff, guys like Callum Graham and Trevor Gordon Hall and uh, Mike Dawes is doing some cool stuff and John Gum. Uh, you know, and, and all these guys are doing instrumental stuff, really. Uh, but it's just solo acoustic guitar uh, type stuff. And, um, you know, Animals as Leaders is great. And um, I still, of course, still dig on Dream Theater, you know. And uh, so, yeah, but, but there's there's definitely some stuff I haven't heard yet, but I've heard of, you know, some guys. Um, so I need to kind of dive into it probably. But I'm not too aware of some of the some of the instrumental metal kind of bands that are doing stuff right now, to be honest. Yeah, there's it's it's hard to keep up with. There's it's like every every day there's some new new couple bands. Um, last couple questions uh, before we wrap up here, man. Um, yeah. I would imagine you know I myself you know I'm mainly a drummer and uh, in a in a heavy band I always needed to kind of um, although I play other styles but w- with my band I would always have to feel like I needed to get myself into a certain mental state to perform um, like a little. You want to be calm, but in in the metal thing, there's a certain aggressiveness that you have to portray. At least, well, that's at least how we did it, you know. Um, yep. But there's a certain you can't be just like you know, dun, 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 dun. you know what I mean. Like people wanted to see me, like you know, like like oh, yeah. the devil in my eyes, you know. So I would kind of amp myself up before I played, and I imagine that's not what you want to do when you play. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about how do you keep yourself mentally healthy while you're on the road, especially like you said, you're in Asia for six weeks. Can't be easy being in Asia for six weeks. I myself have not left the United States yet, but I would imagine it's a culture shock, even if you've been on the road for 10 years. Um, so you got that kind of stress. You've got, you know, maybe some loved ones at home or just your, what's going on at my house. Like, how do you keep yourself mentally sane, like safe, healthy? And then also, you know, like I said, seven o'clock doors, Andy McKee's got to go open for Dream Theater in front of 35,000 people in an Italian castle. <laughs> you know, what are you doing to, to keep yourself, you know, where you need to be and, and so that you can do it every day? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, I think that's something that is kind of uh, not talked about so much, how that's it's pretty tough. I mean, yeah. um, and I, you know, everyone just, I assume, you know, sees you know, the show and, and they, they see that you're in Asia or wherever, you know, and it's like, wow, it must be just amazing. And, and I mean, of course it is. I mean, that, that stuff's all great, but there are other factors, you know, the fact that you're just, you're not where you're from. I mean, you, all your friends and your family are all back there and every day you're in a new place and uh, there's new people. And um, so uh, you kind of have to get comfortable with that in a way as, as much as you can. Um, so, you know, I've kind of been doing this now since, uh, about 2005 or so. And so it's uh, been about 15 years, I guess, of, uh, touring quite a bit. Although this year I've kind of reeled it in a bit and last year a bit too. I've been really trying to work on some new music, so I haven't been hitting it as hard as I used to, but, um, but, uh, anyway, you know, I've got a wife and two kids now and, and so that's, that's definitely changed the dynamic too. And, so when I go out on the road, I try to actually keep it to about two weeks tops. That's normally what I do. But uh, the Asia tour was kind of a bigger one there uh, just because it was a great opportunity. And you can't kind of pass those up sometimes. When, and it's a long flight. And you're already over there, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, why go back again? Just get, knock it all out. So um, so anyway, you know, when I'm out, um, I do actually try to meditate a bit when I can. And that helps me kind of clear my head. And, and when I was over there, I took a few philosophy books, you know, that uh, it's always uh, good to 
to read uh, uh, some some you know I'm, I'm kind of into like Eastern philosophy and so and some Greek philosophy philosophy I had a book from Epictetus that was quite cool and Marcus Aurelius uh, stuff you know and it's just all kind of uplifting positive things you know and uh, can help you kind of realign you know if you're feeling like depressed you're gone from home you miss your kids and all that stuff but uh, um, those are the things I guess that kind of help me you know and I like to have fun when I'm out there too so sometimes you know have some drinks with friends afterwards and uh, you know I'll usually have like, at least like a tour manager if I'm out by myself but sometimes if we're out with like a like this guitar masters tour I'll have you know these other guitar players and we're all great friends and We'll probably uh you know party a bit after the shows and that's always fun that's always um, the best part of nam is the is the bars after the the, the trade show yeah exactly yeah, yeah the trade show itself is a bit loud and you know, a bit overwhelming well, sometimes but friday the by 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 saturday morning and if, if you're walking around nam it's just hungover musicians is all it is <laughs> and like the like the line at the at the bar is like you know i i always would hear like oh dude it's a marathon and like the first year I went I guess I was like I don't know 24 or whatever 25 and I was like oh, I powered through it but then the next year I was like oh shit yeah I can't do that I you know you can't can't do this every <laughs> yeah. night because you're walking 15 miles to look at the next you know great invention on uh you know of guitar or whatever it is but uh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so you know but yeah man my I, my thing on stage man is I'm pretty much just me so I mean uh I, I don't try to do anything really to change how I would normally be off stage, even. Um, and most acoustic solo guys are like that, you know. Um, there's a great guitar player named Tommy Emanuel, an acoustic guitar player. He's really amazing, you know. Um, and so, like him on stage versus me on stage are like two totally different things. He's just like a, a dynamo kind of, you know. Yeah. He's, but that's just the way he is off stage too. It's just who he is, you know. Well, there's so, a certain uh, uh, performance is uh you can any not anybody but most people can go up on stage and play a song it's can you perform a song and entertain a crowd you know are, are the the things that kind of start separating you as you as you go up the rung so you know yeah. there's there's different places for that and i and i have to say when i'm watching your your live videos even even in your studio videos you have this certain presence about you that you control the silence and like you your presence is felt in those moments and like you you leave things hanging and the way the way that your body moves and the way that you let things ring out a certain way i watched one interview i think it was uh i don't know which one it was it was from a couple years ago but it was in hawaii the public radio one and oh okay you just let it hang a specific amount of time because you knew that's where like your i could tell where you're counting your rhythm and you let it play out as if there was a click going but you know Everybody else can't hear the click, but that is so cool, you know, and I wanted to see, like, how did you develop that spatial awareness with music? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess I don't know if I ever really deliberately did. Um, th I mean, there was uh, definitely, I guess I took some influence from Michael Hedges in a way on uh, stopping notes from ringing out. Like, um, that was something that he was really uh, conscious of, too, so... Uh, I've seen transcriptions of his music where they kind of do certain notations to actually point out when you stop a note from ringing out. Really? And so, um, you know, I, th I guess that may have influenced that a bit. But, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, there's the space between the notes, too, is is pretty valuable when you're in the context of a song. You know, you can uh, you can say a lot without saying anything sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And uh, last question here uh, as we wrap up. So one of the things I thought was the most interesting uh, in my research was that you have a little bit of a history with guitar competitions. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I myself, I'm a very competitive person just overall across the board. So whether it's, you know, how many water bottles you drink in a day or, you know, push up, whatever it is, I'm going to find my way in there. And so as a drummer, dr being competitive and being a drummer is very expensive and uh, is a very is a very destructive uh, trait. Um so, and I'm sure you know um, egos in in the music world. It's 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 no different than you know being around athletes. You know, everybody. It's there's there's egos, and then there's some great talents that are just super cool, like John Petrucci, for example. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, for myself, you, you meet him and you think like, oh, this dude could totally like, you know, be a dick if he wanted to. Like, you know what I mean? But. People would be like, oh, well, you know, they would, they would, there's certain people that behave that way, I guess is what I should say. And it's allowed because they're so-and-so and, -so and they, they do whatever really well. But I think it's a whole nother thing to be super kind and caring to people uh, in that way. So uh, the competitive thing is interesting with guitar players because I know there's a whole, there should be a whole genre called competitive guitar in my opinion, like it should just be its own, you should just let those guys do their own thing. And then it's like, Oh, I'm a competitive guitar player. And then I'd be like, Oh, no problem. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I wouldn't classify it. It would just be an easier breakdown. You know, it's like, we don't even play music. We just play competitive guitar. Right, right, right. right. Like somebody who's like, cause okay. I, I don't know if you play bass. I mean, Kansas, right. Basketball is in the Midwest. Oh, a great sport. So, you know, yeah. you're not going to see me, play a game of pickup ball with my boys but i'll sit at the three-point line and shoot hoops you know you know what i mean it's the same concept like mm -hmm. i can do the one basic mechanic of it but that's that's where my line <laughs> is so maybe we need to set up a competitive guitar playing lane i think that would be interesting yeah. like a genre yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's own genre it's own genre everything's 90 seconds you know it's like everything's it's, yeah. it's like in nascar we like stock car rules um <laughs> so uh I'm doing my research, and um, you won first place in the miscellaneous uh, category in the 2003 <laughs> Kansas State Fiddling and Picking Championship on your harp guitar. Yeah. So, so question number one is, did you ever defend the crown? And two, are you competitive, and when are you going to go back and uh, defend your crown now? <laughs> Um, I never did defend the crown, and the truth is I'm not competitive like at all. Even though I've done those um, those competitions, really, uh, how that all kind of came about was uh, I was you know teaching guitar here in Kansas for uh, about ten years or so, uh, and I had this student who said, uh, well, we we kind of became friends. You know, he was really into the acoustic guitar too, so we kind of became friends outside of just the lessons. And he said, hey man, you want to go down to Winfield with me this year? And so. Um, down in Winfield, Kansas, it's this tiny town, not too far from Wichita, but they have this just massive bluegrass festival there, and they also have actually the International Fingerstyle Guitar Championships and uh, flat picking guitar, like steel string acoustic guitar right. with a pick, uh, auto harp and like fiddle and um, dulcimer, hammer dulcimer, all these things have their competition there. So. Um, I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, yeah, they've got this competition. You want to check it out? So we went down that, I think it was probably 1999, and just checked it out. And uh, the whole festival was pretty dope. But then, you know, the competition was cool. There's a lot of great finger-picking guitar players I there. I bet. 
you know. So um, I thought, well, maybe I should try it, you know. And I th the main reason was like, this could be a way for me to get my name out there a bit. I'm from Topeka, Kansas. Like, what? How am I ever gonna do anything other than teach guitar? What am I gonna do? But this thing's pretty big, you know. And it's just a few hours down the road. So I went back the next year and uh, I actually played cover tunes. Uh, I think I played like a Don Ross tune, maybe a Preston Reed tune, something like that. And I didn't get anywhere. And I went back the next year and I got third place and I played all original stuff, you know, and I won a nice guitar and a trophy and whatever. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is great, you know, and I went back again the next year and uh, I didn't place that year for whatever reason. And so, um, but I think it was just the next year after that, the YouTube thing happened or shortly after that, you know. But uh, anyway, doing well in that competition, though, led me to actually performing in uh, Taiwan in 2004. Uh, so that was the first place I ever went, um, almost outside of Kansas, was all the way to Taiwan. They heard about me, and I did this tour down there, and, you know, it was probably about a week and a half long, and it was cool. Um, so, you know, things were starting to pick up just from that. But, uh, yeah, this Kansas-based one, too, the fiddling and picking championships or whatever, the harp guitar uh, impressed everybody, so I won that thing, and you know I did well in the Canadian one too. I got second place there once, but um, but really all that stuff was mostly just a way for me to see if I could get in front of some people, you know, right. or make some connections. And I didn't necessarily have to win first place. I mean that would have been cool, of course, but um, but I was okay with you know just starting to make these connections, and then suddenly the YouTube thing happened, and uh, and it was all good anyway. So, but yeah, so I, I don't really you know, care too much to go back and defend the crowd or whatever. It's all good. Actually, it'd probably be worse if I didn't win. It'd probably be like, oh, what the hell? Oh, yeah, like and, like uh, front, front page of Blabbermouth, Andy McKee places fourth in uh, Kansas State Fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at, that'd be worse than anything. Yeah, I'd be massacred, man, online. That'd be the worst. And uh, actually, truly, this will be the, the last question here on the Everyman Podcast. And again, thank you for joining us. Um, what advice would you give young guitarists just overall, young musicians, what, what do you, what would you have wanted to know? Put a video on YouTube. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Um, geez, I guess I don't know too much what to say there. You know, for me personally, it was kind of like, I never felt like I had much of a choice, you know, on the music thing. And I, like I said, I started teaching guitar when I was 17 and I taught till I was 27. I'd, I just knew that I was going to do something with the guitar, and even if it was just going to be teaching guitar lessons at a guitar studio in Topeka, Kansas, you know, that might be okay, or maybe my, I'd open my own store at some point or something like that. But I did enjoy performing, you know, for people, and um, and so I wanted to try to make that a reality somehow. And you know, I just kept trying different things, like these competitions just seemed like a, a good way to, with this kind of guitar playing. You know, how do you? make an impact in any way uh, most people aren't aren't checking out instrumental acoustic guitar just on a whim you know so how do i get in front of the people that are into that well there's these competitions you know so i tried that and and uh, playing at a couple of festivals and you know uh, so i guess if i had to give a tip you know just if it's if you feel like it's in you just don't give up man and and uh keep trying to create your own music and um, you know, listen to a lot of different kinds of music and take some ins inspiration from, you know, piano players or uh, video game music or, you know, all kinds of stuff. There's there's lots of great music out there and you can you can kind of look at those different all the different music that's out there and see what it is you, you like about this song. or What do I like about this way of playing? And I think that's how everyone kind of develops their own sound. You know, you just take all these influences and you're seeing these things that you like 
And when you combine all that stuff, you you found who you are in a way. They they help you discover what it is that you like about music and uh, what the what you want to say with with the guitar or whatever instrument you're playing. So, um, I guess that would be what I would say. Well, that's great. That's a great way to leave it. <laughs> Andy, uh, where can people uh, get more information about you? Where can they follow you on social media? And uh, tell us where where you're going to be in the next uh, couple weeks because I know you got some dates coming up. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got a website at andymckee.com. So uh, that's uh, kind of the home base. But on social media, I'm the real McKee on Instagram and uh, and uh, Twitter. And then on Facebook, you know, I've got an Andy McKee page and all that. So uh, you can follow me on those places. And uh, I've got a YouTube channel, too, but I'm not really that active on it, ironically, even though that's kind of what launched my career in a big way. I haven't really put any videos up in a while. But well, you're being like, on YouTube now, let's just say. You, you can just <laughs> yeah, focus yeah. on the road, brother. Yeah, it's, it is, it's a little bit more, uh, it's, there's something else to focus on, yeah, than just putting YouTube up. But when I get the uh, new album out, we'll put some videos up on there. So, But it's just, you know, Andy McKee on there as well. Um, but yeah, so I've got my guitar camp coming up. Um, that's going to be uh, the beginning of August, like August 1st through the 4th, and it's in Petaluma, California at the Earthrise Institute is the name. Uh, and uh, my camp's called Musicarium. So this year we've got me and Trevor Gordon Hall, Callum Graham, and uh, Mike Dawes from the United Kingdom. And we just teach guitar over the four days and have concerts and jam with the students, let the students play for everybody, have meals together, party a bit together, all that stuff. So That's awesome. Good good time, man, yeah. And uh, before running up to that, though, we got some shows. We got, we're playing in Phoenix at the Musical Instrument Museum, uh, and that's on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday we're playing in San Diego at the Music Box. Um, and, and, uh, Friday's at Berkeley at the Freight and Salvage. And then Sunday is at the Sophia Sokopoulos Center for the Arts in Sacramento. Say so, that five uh, times fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, those are the four, four gigs we got before the camp coming right up. And, uh, after that I'm, I'm chilling for a few months and then I got some shows in Europe, uh, that'll be coming up at that point. So fantastic. Well, we look forward to uh, keeping an eye on what you're up to, and uh, we'll definitely be catching you next time you're close to Philadelphia. So, Andy McKee, thank you very much, sir. Thanks, Justin. Take care, man.